MP, Christmas is almost here. Brado, doesn't that mean the world's about to end? Oh, don't be silly, Marcus. But what is about to end is the two-for-one tickets to the Wellness Base Camp. Jeepers, Brado. Two-for-one tickets to the Wellness Base Camp close this Friday, December 15. Book your tickets now to go in the draw to win some incredible prizes. That's right, Brado. We have three copies of Joe and Fuad's life-changing food to give away and up for a chat, Kim Morrison is giving one lucky Base Camp attendee the signature 28 diffuser with not one, not two, but three synergy blends, including festive spirit. That is valued at almost 200 bucks. All you need to do is book your tickets to the Wellness Base Camp by Friday, December 15 to go in the draw. Give yourself the best Christmas present ever. And win a prize. Two for one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Damien Christoph and Dr. Brett Hill. Hey, Brett, eh? Yes, Damo. Hey, uh, I'm going to go to Ikaria again, and uh, and Marcus is going as well, and we're going to take 20 people with us to Ikaria to learn more about longevity. If any of our listeners would love to come along to Ikaria with us, then just go to 100notout.com.au, I think it is, and uh, and check us out. See if it's for you, see if you'd like to come with us, because this episode is brought to you by the 100 Not Out Longevity Tour. So you worked for the TGA, Jerry. Yeah, I did. Look, in 2011, the TGA were looking for an expert in in, uh, complementary medicine. Um, So I took a part-time position there while also maintaining my clinic. They were really good that way. They allowed me to practice part-time. That was 2011. And almost the first thing I got on my desk, uh, that was on the 5th of May 2011, the NHMRC had developed a draft statement on homeopathy that got leaked to the media, we think by Ken Harvey. And uh, it got leaked the same day that the Australian Homeopathic Association accidentally learned that it existed because they were doing it in secret. So that was uh, quite a coincidence. It got released the same day. Wow. And that process was openly biased. They didn't consult any experts. They didn't review any evidence. They just um, went out and declared it to be inefficacious and even unethical. Um, and they called homeopath. The statement referred to homeopaths as deceptive. So that was a really questionable process and after it got leaked, they quickly backtracked and said, okay, we didn't mean it, we'll we'll conduct a review. But basically, I worked at the TGA between 2011-2015 and all I can say is the problems confronting natural medicine at the moment, the seeds of that wave started in the health department, in HMRC, TGA, Department of Health itself, back then. And we're seeing the results of it now crashing onto the shore. But um, I left the TGA because I couldn't really stand the bias that I was observing towards natural medicine. Because for me, natural medicine comes out of the clinic. You know, there I was part-time working with real clients in the clinic, seeing real health outcomes, doing what I was doing, while then going into the health department and seeing this culture of bias developing without any understanding of what we really do. Ah, it's unbelievably scary. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think we've all got to stand up and let the community know what's going on here because whatever the health department's doing, it's not working in the public interest. It's working in the interests of really ignorance and the special agendas of, you know, sceptics groups. Hi, this is Damien Christoph. 
And this is Brett Hill. Hey, Brett. This is a really exciting uh, and uh, I don't know. Ex- actually, it's not really that exciting. It's actually a little nah. bit scary. This interview, yeah. today, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit full on, uh, but it's importantly so. It's it's such an important topic right now, especially in Australia. Uh, but similar things are happening all around the world when it comes to alternative medicine and natural healthcare. Um, that there's just a lot of pressure being applied by a lot of small interest groups um, with with interesting interests um, that are uh, that are really attacking them and uh, and so it's really important to have this conversation and to bring this right out in the open because you know i think one of the things we said in the interview is about 80 percent of people in australia use some sort of alternative medicine and if they knew the threats that were going on right now to potentially take that away from them or at least take away the right for them to be able to easily utilize it or claim for it with their private health fund or you know all sorts of things like that um They'd be worried. They'd be con- they'd be concerned if they knew what was going on right now. So it's important we get it out in the open. I think, Damo. Absolutely. Now, just before people start to tune out, and go, oh my gosh, here we go, conspiracy theory. Uh, I just want to put it out there that uh, this may sound like a conspiracy theory, but I can ass- I can assure you that this isn't a conspiracy theory. That there's a there's a fascinating um, situation that's happened in the United States where everyone thought that Donald Trump wouldn't get in, um, but he did. And then you look at what's actually going on over there. And then there's a lot of people saying, oh, there's not going to be global warming, but there is. Uh, and then there's other people that would, you know, indicate that, oh, we're not going to lose our freedom of speech in Australia, but we have. And so let's just consider for a moment that the information that we're about to go through with you guys will definitely open your eyes, open your ears, and potentially frustrate you and anger you. But just just know that this isn't a conspiracy theory this is actually real this is actually happening you won't believe it's happening in australia you won't believe that it could actually happen under our watch uh, but it's actually happening and uh, right now as we speak our health freedoms and liberties are actually being taken away from us yeah, and you know that as well as I do, Damo. Being a healthcare practitioner at the moment, you know how much pressure is applied to us in terms of what we can and can't say, and how we can and can't say it, and how we you know, promote our practices and all those sort of things. That it's that it's not what it used to be. And certainly, you know, you talk about freedom of speech. There's certainly a lot more restrictions on that now than there ever were, and a lot more bureaucracy around that of you know people deciding who should and shouldn't be able to say what. And 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 it's a bit scary, Damien. You know, I think it's a bit dangerous when you come. When it comes to health, because you know, as you said, it's easier to say, "Well, it's just a conspiracy theory." But sometimes there really is a conspiracy going on, and that's when it's important to do something about it. You know, if everyone just looked at smoking and said, "Well, you know, all these people saying it's bad for us, it's just a conspiracy theory." You know, there's doctors out there recommending smoking. Mm. There's, you know, there's people saying smoking is good for you. You should smoke because it'll help with your asthma and and all those sort of things that were being said back then. You know, if we all sat back and said, "Oh, this conspiracy theory that smoking is bad for you," then everyone would have kept smoking and lots of people would have died as a result. So sometimes there actually is a conspiracy and and, in, and there was a conspiracy then to hide the information and people think, oh, people wouldn't do that. You know, people's lives are at risk. We're talking about people's health. You know, people wouldn't lie just to make a buck. But we know that that did happen. Uh, there was evidence was hidden and it was kept away in order to keep promoting and selling that product. So, you know, it's happened before and there's every reason to believe it will happen again. Um, so it's important to stay open-minded. 
Absolutely. Let's think about some of the conspiracies that actually have happened before I introduced Jerry um, into this. Uh, but let's think about some of the conspiracies. We know that there's the cholesterol one. We know that the data was rigged um, to say that saturated fat caused cholesterol in every single person. That was going to be the uh, number one cause for heart disease. Uh, we've successfully reduced the consumption of cholesterol in Australia and across the world. Um, however, our heart disease risk has continued to go up. So there's there's one conspiracy. What else have you seen, brother, that's a conspiracy? Well, I don't know about conspiracies, but there's been lots of times where the evidence was wrong. You know, in yes. other words, there's been lots of times where we thought something was safe and it turned out not to be. I mean, look at something like Vioxx, for example. Yeah, yes. Everyone said it's safe medication. You can take this. Uh, this will be good for your arthritis. Everyone, this is fine on everyone. But then we found out more information and we realized that actually hundreds of thousands of people died as a result of taking that particular medication and it yes. got taken off the market. Yes. And so if you only followed the mainstream and if you didn't believe in any conspiracy theories, you the day before it got taken off the market, you would have said, it's perfectly safe. Take it. No problems at all. Yeah. And then the day after, you would have said, oh, that's no good. Make sure you don't take that. That's really dangerous. Right? But it's like there was it was the exact same product 24 hours apart. Yeah. Nothing changed except for people's belief around whether it was safe or not. And I think that's a really important point. You, you could be right there. And maybe I jumped the gun there calling it a conspiracy before it ran cholesterol. However, when people conspire to conceal information, that is, in fact, a conspiracy. So as new information becomes available and information comes to light, we should be made aware of it and things should change. So we know that to be the case with certain medications. We know that to be the case with certain um, um, lifestyle choices with regards to smoking, for example, even margarine use or saturated fat, um, or even trans fatty acids. So there's been, you know, quite a number of things that uh, where evidence has, has been withheld, um, and and that I suppose is the biggest concern. And so, the story that you're about to hear from Jerry Dendronos um, will will blow you away. So let me just introduce Jerry. And have you got unless you've got something else to say, Bredo, have you got anything else to Go, Damo. Go. All right, great. So look, Jerry's been practicing as a homeopath in Canberra uh, for the past 17 years. Um, and in this time, he's taught homeopathy and has also worked with the Australian Federal Health Bureaucracy. Um, and in May 2011, Jerry accepted a part-time position in Australia's TGA, that's the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Um, now, these guys are... Uh, charged with the task of ensuring safety around all of our medications, not just natural medicines, but also pharmaceutical medications as well. Um, at this time, uh, when he joined the TGA, it coincided with the leak to the media of the National Health and Medical Research Council, that's the NHMRC. You hear us talk about the NHMRC throughout this particular article. Um, their draft position statement on homeopathy. And so while he was at the TGA, Jerry directly observed misconduct um, and he's open in saying that, and he has legal advice um, and lawyers that will help him defend that. Um, that was associated with the NHMRC's review of the evidence of homeopathy. Now, to cut a long story short, the NHMRC uh, review said that homeopathy was um, not effective and that practitioners who used homeopathy were charlatans or cons um, and were ripping off the public and, uh, and and it was based off this particular review. So we saw that overnight homeopathy was pretty much shut down within Australia. Um, when he saw this uh, review of the evidence of homeopathy, he resigned and uh, and started a, a spear and spearheaded an investigation basically into the NHMRC's conduct of the review. And and you'll be amazed at what you hear when you're listening to this because it's so it's so incredibly compelling that you won't want to stop this podcast. You'll probably keep on driving around in circles or continue your run. 
This resulted in formal submission of a complaint being lodged with the Australia's Commonwealth Ombudsman to investigate allegations of misconduct. And the story of this investigation is told in the film Just One Drop, which um, came to Australia just recently. It's screened around the world. Um, Jerry's currently the president of the Australian Homeopathic Association, it's AHA, and is leading the Your Health, Your Choice consumer campaign to bring public awareness and seek justice on the NHMRC homeopathy review issue, among other things. Now, just to start off with, if you feel um, incensed by this, make sure you go to yourhealthyourchoice.com.au and uh, sign the petition. So that's yourhealthyourchoice.com.au to sign the petition and to support the work of Jerry Dendronos and his team. So let's get stuck into it. What do you reckon, Bredo? Let's do it. It's an important one. Hey, big news today. This is a really uh, important interview for everybody to listen to. And I know that uh, there'll be a lot of people out there that kind of are familiar with uh, the changes that the governor just implemented recently within around um, health insurance, etc., etc. But of course, this is, this is a big, big deal. And today we're joined by a really fantastic, highly skilled man, uh, Jerry Dendronos. And he's a homeopath um, and he's a herbalist, so highly skilled highly knowledgeable and he's going to talk to us about the the situation the climate that's actually occurring in uh, in healthcare at the moment so welcome to the podcast today jerry thanks glad to be here jerry um tell us a little bit about you um obviously you're a homeopath and a herbalist both of those things are very dear to my heart um tell us how did you get into homeopathy and herbal, herbal medicine and uh and, and and then become the president of the australian homeopathic association well it's a very big question but for me it started back when i was in my 20s I, uh, you know, finished my university degree, did my honours degree, and uh, started a career in science. And then I got sick. Uh, I got chronic fatigue syndrome, anxiety, depression, various things. And so I did what you do: you go to the GP. And the first thing I learned was that they really didn't have many answers for me other than suggesting some drugs, which kind of didn't feel like that was the only option I should follow. So, cut a long story short, I ended up going to a variety of practitioners, and then I discovered a a practitioner who was he was an acupuncturist, a homeopath, and also a herbalist. But um, it was the homeopathy that kind of fixed me. It got me onto a road of recovery, and just having a naturally inquiring mind, I thought, well, I want to know more about that. How did that work? And it really started from there. So it started with my road to recovery. Well, Jerry, tell us a little bit about, more about homeopathy because some people think homeopathy is, you know, a bit like the Seinfeld show, you know, a bit of a show about nothing because you just dilute stuff right down. Um, but there's so much more to it than that. And so a lot of people don't get it. You know, they kind of hear someone describe in a very colloquial way what homeopathy is and they say, oh, that doesn't make sense. How could that possibly work? Explain to those people how homeopathy, homeopathy works and how it stimulates the body's own healing mechanisms. Yeah, really big question again. So how exactly it works is still being understood. But what we do know is that it does work. And uh, like you said, it's a bit like acupuncture. So homeopathic medicine, it's designed to 
stimulate the body to start auto-correcting, a bit like you know chiropractic or acupuncture. Uh, we work with the idea that the body knows how to self-heal. You yeah. give it the right raw material or the right stimulus, and it starts that road to recovery. So homeopathy has been around 200 years. It's used all around the world. I think there are about 500,000 medical doctors practicing it in government um, healthcare systems around the world. Um, uh, we estimate between 500 million and a billion people use it. So it's fairly mainstream actually globally. Yeah. So getting to your question of like how does it work, the best way to answer that question is not to speculate but to look at research. And what most people wouldn't realize is that the majority of peer-reviewed published research shows that actually something's going on. So if you look at fundamental research, and that's research uh, in non-human models where there's no placebo effect, um, so cells, animals, plants, uh, uh, in vitro studies, what would surprise most people, it surprised me, is that 75% of all those studies are positive. And 75% of those studies have been successfully replicated over and again. So how it works, we'll bring it out. But the fact that it does work in biological systems, the evidence is there. So when it comes to human clinical research, so um, trials looking at health conditions in humans, and we're talking about randomized controlled trials, Mm -hmm. placebo-controlled, around 50% of those are positive, only 5% are negative. Which wow. again would be a figure that surprises people, right? Yeah. So that's, um, that's not what you hear, you know. I mean, we hear no. all the time people bashing chiropractors all the time, saying we don't have any evidence, but um, we we do. We have so much evidence to tell and show people what works. Is what's happening? How how can this be the case? Because I'm sure that the NHMRC said that there was no credible or no plausible evidence, and that's the reason why they dumped homeopathy from the system. How does this happen? Well, that's that's the million dollar question, and that's what brings me into the what brought me into investigating the NHMRC review. Because how can you have a research evidence base that's basically positive? I mean, most people wouldn't know that fifty percent of human clinical research trials are positive, only five percent negative, and that's the same proportion as conventional research, which is why it's a relevant figure. So how can you get from that to a finding of no viable evidence? And that's what my or our investigation has shown exactly how they did that. And it took us two years of conducting a pretty intense investigation involving a scientific research group in in Europe and also conducting an extensive freedom of information campaign on the NHMRC. And and, uh, I'll let you ask me questions gradually because it's quite a big story and people would be (laughs) completely shocked when uh, they know what happened. Well, Jerry, you know, my understanding of this is, you know, the HMRC claim that it's all about quality of research. And those, so they set a range of parameters and decide what is and what isn't quality research. And um, I guess the, the question then comes down to what do they consider quality of research and how do they sort of fiddle with the parameters to try and get, um, some would say, trying to get results that they're looking for? Yeah, so we need to unpack this slowly and gradually so your listeners understand exactly what happened and as i tell the story i want you to forget about homeopathy this is not about homeopathy this is about research integrity just imagine they were reviewing oncology or uh you know the effect of antibiotics or something conventional and non-controversial right so they instigated the review in 2012 
And what they haven't told the Australian public is that they actually completed a review with the first contractor in 2012. The contractor gave the NHMRC their final draft report in August 2012, and they were fired three days later. And no one knows that. Sacked. Sacked. And we've received Freedom of Information documents, FOI documents, that show that the first review was high quality. Like their own committee members said, this is a really high quality review. And two weeks later, they're they're sacked. Now, why why would you sack a highly credentialed, experienced reviewer. And by the way, the first reviewer they hired wrote their own guidelines on how to review evidence. <laughs> and wow. that, that reviewer had already published 80 systematic reviews using that methodology in collaboration with the NHMRC and on their own over the previous six or seven years. So they came really highly credentialed. And all of a sudden, they hand in their final draft report and they're fired three days later. Even the fact that they're terminated so quickly tells you something's wrong. And then we, then we get FOI documents that show us it was a good quality report. And the, the reviewer's comment even said, this is a high quality, unbiased report. And have you spoken to the reviewer since then? Uh, no, I haven't spoken to the reviewer because that reviewer would be under contractual obligation. To not say not anything. To, uh, to not say anything. Yeah. It's quite profound. It's quite profound. So at the moment, we've got a situation in Australia where the National Health Medical Research Council who oversees um, information that gets to the government so that the government can make policy on health and healthcare matters, um, appears to have um, maybe ignored um, a a review uh, that uh, would have otherwise painted homeopathy in a clear picture, in a a good light. And uh, and so as a result of that, uh, the, the recommendation by the NHMRC was to go to the government and say homeopathy lacks evidence, it doesn't work, um, and it should be, you know, banned. That's essentially what they've said, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Um, what they've said is, well, so we had the first review that they terminated, then they conducted the review again in 2013, and that review concluded there was no reliable evidence that homeopathy is effective in any health condition. And alongside that, they put out a statement saying, therefore, don't use it. And if you do use it, make sure you consult your health professional. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty big thing to put out to the community. And when you put out a statement like that, you better be bloody sure that the review you've based that on is really high quality and conducted ethically. But that's where our investigation comes into play. Um, so what we discovered about how they conducted that second review is where the shock factor comes in, apart from the fact they terminated a good quality first review without telling the public. So there's more. So it's not, it's oh, not yeah. just that they just terminated this guy. What, what was the second review all about? Well, this is where it gets even more interesting. So I'll step you through just what happened. I know it's technical, but I reckon you'll get the idea. So I'll, I'll take it slow, but without going into too much detail. So... After sacking the first reviewer, they started again under the second reviewer, which was uh, Optum Insight, a very large company in the US. Um, hang on a tick, guys. Okay. So the research protocol for the Optum review was agreed and finalised between the NHMRC, their working committee, and Optum in December 2012. 
And we know that because it's been revealed through freedom of information documents. So for those of you, just to clarify, before you conduct any kind of research or review in science, you've got to, you create the research protocol and that's the rules that you use. And you set it ahead of time so that if there's any, so whatever you do is not subject to bias or manipulating the outcome after the fact. So you publish the rules to start with and then you conduct the review according to those rules. And if you change those rules at all, even in a small way, you've got to disclose it and justify it in your report. And often there's an ethics committee involved, right? So it was all finalised in December 2012 and Optum went away and they completed their assessment. So Optum completed the assessment in March 2013. And we know that because we've got the FOI documents. Then what happened is between April and July 2013, the NHMRC and the Working Committee completely recreated the research protocol after the review had already been done, which meant that all the criteria in the published report, every single one of them that they used, was created after the fact. Got it? Got it. So not only they, re they, they recreated the research protocol, they did not disclose one of the changes that they made. So I'll let you digest that for a minute. Just hang it in. It's just that's just it blows my mind. I mean, and what did they give? Did they give any reason why they were changing it? Like, what was their suggestion? Because I mean, obviously, from the outside looking in, it looks pretty sus. Like you listen to that and you think, why would you want to manipulate those parameters after the event? Once you've gotten the the figures to look at and figure out and kind of know what manipulating those figures would do. So, what did they um? What did they say about why they did that? Well, that, that's the whole point, is that they didn't say anything because they didn't disclose it. And that's the million-dollar question. Why would you manipulate the research protocol after the review's been done? And so the answer to the question comes in when you look at the effect that those changes had. So just backtracking for a moment, they included in scope of the review 176 studies, and these are randomised controlled trials, like gold standard evidence, right? They said, we're going to look at 176 studies. Yeah. So what the manipulation to the research protocol did, and we, we put this together study by study. We went back to every one of those one, original studies and put it back together. It eliminated the results of 171 out of the 176 studies from being considered in, as part of the review's findings, which meant that the whole review came down only f to only five trials that they regarded as inverted commas reliable that's and that is not that is not an analysis you'll find in a thousand pages of their report that's incredible that's and, and I, can, I, I can explain how they did that if it's not too technical please do it yeah let us know okay so there are two criteria in particular that stand out that I'll, I'll just focus on those, even though there are multiple criteria. Um, oh, by the way, one thing that was interesting we found out was that uh, if you go to their report, you, uh, they say that we adopted the null hypothesis. And that is um, they assumed homeopathy didn't work unless reliable evidence proved otherwise. Now, that null hypothesis approach, they didn't adopt it till the end of April 2013, a month after the review had been done, right? And at that stage, they hadn't developed any concept of what reliable evidence actually meant, right? Because, see, the term reliable evidence sounds entirely reasonable. 
right? Until you, until you dig deeper and realize what that actually means. So for a trial to be reliable, it had to have at least 150 people in it and, and be rated 100% quality. 100% quality. A, yeah, yeah. And then you realize, the first thing we did, <laughs> gets that we went back, no one does. So the 150 rule, they didn't apply that till July 2013. That was right. four months after the review had been done. Right. The 100% quality rule, they didn't apply that till a month after that again. That was in August 2013. And when you retrofit those exclusion criteria to the data, you find that the 150 rule knocked out 146 studies and the 100% quality rule knocked out a further, I think, 25 and so that leaves you with five studies left over. And uh, so any study that wasn't that didn't meet the 150 rule or the 100% quality rule was deemed unreliable. And what that meant was their result. And here's the here's the genius of what they did. This is the, the golden moment. That meant that for those 171 studies, their results, no matter how positive they were, were not part of the findings they were thrown out they were dismissed and you will not find that in the report we had to put that together it took us a year and a half that's the truth guys that's uh now, that's amazing this sounds like absolute fraud so where do you go yep. to from there because obviously you've discovered something that's significant um this is a big deal this this you know you any anybody who votes or anybody who lives in australia would think that our government is not corrupt and and wouldn't have any you know malintent or malice but this, to me, sounds horrendous. Like, this sounds like we have got yeah. corruption. It, it is horrendous. Imagine if your health modality, imagine if they did that to chiropractic or to herbal medicine. Imagine if, they did it to, imagine if they did it to obstetrics or oncology. This is a big deal. The subject's homeopathy becomes irrelevant. This is research conduct. This is not only scientific misconduct, but also administrative misconduct, which you have to remember the NHMRC is not big pharma. They're public servants. It's a government-funded, taxpayer-funded institution, and they are legally obliged to follow um, standard, very high standards of conduct, whether it's scientific or administrative. And they've basically engineered a process using, uh, well, they, they retrofitted the, the, uh, these criteria to the data. They reverse-engineered the research protocol, didn't tell anyone. And the criteria they use are completely arbitrary. They're not justifiable against any known scientific standard. So one, one of the first things we did, guys, is the 150 rule. We went back and looked at what research does the NHMRC fund in the community? And nearly every piece of clinical research that they fund has less than 150 people in it. And the reason is because <laughs> it, the rule doesn't exist in science. It's, that's not how you define a reliable trial. It just doesn't come into it. Um, but they so, use that. They use that to dump a whole bunch of studies for the review for homeopathy. They use yep. that criteria exclusively for homeopathy, but not for anything else. They've never applied it to any other research in any other field ever. And we can't find another research group in the world that's ever done it. And then the other thing we discovered, uh, which we put to them, was that if you look at their report, they provide a, a BMJ study as a, as a reference for the 150 rule. And they cited it in error. They couldn't have even read the paper because the paper was a theoretical paper. 
looking at binary studies. It's a certain kind of study, right? And the paper said, uh, this is a theoretical paper and our findings cannot be extrapolated to continuous outcome studies, right? I know that's technical. You don't have to understand what that means, but the relevant part is that the NHMRC said all the studies we looked at were continuous outcome studies and the paper they cited said our findings are not relevant and can't be used for continuous outcome studies. So even the reference they made up or concocted said you can't do what you, what they did. Wow. So, you know, I could talk about this all day and lots of other things, but it's not the point. Well, this is hey, Jerry, I'd, I'd love you to talk a little bit more about the null hypothesis because it seems to me that adopting a null hypothesis where you assume that it doesn't work until you can absolutely prove that it does, it seems to me yes. that would be an appropriate thing to do for something that is considered likely to be dangerous and to have negative side effects and it seems to me that homeopathy doesn't fit into that category so you know do you think that it would be inappropriate for that reason to stick homeopathy into that category and and i guess the second part to the question is what other modalities do they you know assume this null hypothesis you know do, do they assume that when they look at studies for surgeries and medications and those sort of things as well or is that have they just done it for homeopathy no no they've just done it for homeopathy uh, we can't find any other place they've done it. But the key point is, is that they didn't introduce it until after the um, contractor had already completed the assessment. They, they, they retrofitted that to the um, review. And, um, and then they went about creating what they meant by reliable evidence. So they said it doesn't work unless there's reliable evidence. And then after that, they created the rules for what reliable evidence meant. So the whole thing was created after the fact that's the main point but you're right they don't adopt that approach to when, when they re review any other kind of evidence it kind of leads you to the inevitable conclusion that the whole thing was kind of concocted from the start and it's fairly obvious to anyone really that the first review was terminated in 2012 because highly likely it reported positive evidence that we all know exists in in a few medical conditions um because the next obvious question is, why the hell would they do that? Why the hell would they have gone to the lengths to do what they've done here? Well, it's a great question because people would be asking that question now. Why? Yeah. What's, what's in it for them to badmouth homeopathy? I've spent years thinking about this, or the last two years at least. It's a very simple answer, is that when you talk about the NHMRC, you're talking about a technocracy. They employ scientists that are linked with the sceptics movement. And this is another aspect to the investigation we, we can talk about. Uh, the conflicts of interest involved were quite spectacular. Um, for the NHMRC to come out and admit that there is positive research evidence for homeopathy using standardised procedures, would it in effect be an endorsement that it could work? It's as simple as that. So the conflicts of interest, we discovered that the first chair of the Homeopathy Working Committee was a member of the Friends of Science and Medicine. Oh. Our good friends who's... What's his name? Who's this person? This was Professor Peter Brooks. Um, yeah, righto. He later resigned from Friends of Science, but only after he was sprung. Yeah. Uh, and the NHMRC kept him on the committee. And the other controversy was that they did not include one single expert in homeopathy or homeopathic research on the committee, which violated their own mandatory guidelines. And we can't find another review where they've excluded any subject or research experts. Now, Jerry, I understand also that uh, your investigation has been picked up by a film, uh, a, a film called uh, Just One Drop. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So Laurel Chiton, the filmmaker, in 2015 was completing a film on homeopathy. 
um, the question she was asking was, has it, has it been given a fair go? And then this report was published and she realised that's the missing link. Something was wrong. So she interviewed me, but also the Homeopathy Research Institute in Europe that helped us with our investigation in a, in a major way. And so if you want to see more about the story of our investigation, go and see Just One Drop film. It's being it's a center-on-demand film through Fanforce. You can uh, look for a screening in your area or you can even organize your own screening. But that film now is being broadcast all around the world and um, basically showing the story of our investigation. So This is you know, full on, Jerry. Uh, I don't know if anyone yeah. else has pulled the car over while they're listening to this, but uh, it's worthy of pulling the car over and maybe even... Um, you know, playing this back again. And, and if you know people that can assist here, then, um, you know, tune in because there's some, some, this is obviously very juicy. Jerry, where are we at with it now? Like, what's the story? Like, what are you guys trying to achieve now? Well, what we've done is we generated, a, all, we've put all this together and lots of other issues that, you know, I haven't got time to go into. We've generated a major submission of complaint to the ombudsman um, to investigate both administrative and scientific misconduct. And it's a big call for the ombudsman. It's huge. To support, and to support that process, we've created the Your Health, Your Choice campaign, which is drawing attention to not only this issue, but multiple issues of bias within the health department in general against natural medicine. I think everyone is a naturopath. Everyone who uses natural medicine, uh, so any, any practitioner of complementary medicine, anyone who, who uses comp meds as part of their healthcare this issue is relevant to, to you. Um, and we're drawing attention to multiple issues on the Your Health, Your Choice campaign. If what I've told you uh, you find disturbing, please go to the site and, and join up, sign up to the campaign, go to the Facebook page, like it, share it through your networks and get the story out there because this is research misconduct trying to shut down people's access to therapies that they want to choose or may wish to choose in the future. And it's a fundamental attack on, on right of choice as yeah, well as an Jer attack on businesses. Jerry, I think it's really important for people to understand as well that it's about 80% of our population in Australia that use some sort of complementary or alternative health. And so I think sometimes people are almost a bit scared to speak out about stuff like this because they don't want to be seen as being weird or different or a bit of a hippie or a bit of a conspiracy theorist or whatever it happens to be. But the reality is the vast majority of our population are using these kind of services. And, and if we all stood up and said, hey, this isn't right and this is going to affect the way I I spend my money, this is going to affect the way I vote, then, you know, that that 80% is a very powerful block to make a change on this, isn't it? It is, and it's that 80% we're, we're, we're trying to reach because, um, look, the campaign's taken us by surprise even. In four months, we've got nearly 70,000 signatures, and let me tell you, that's opening doors in Canberra. It's, it's making the health department nervous, and it's making them listen. So all you have to do is sign up. We're doing the heavy lifting, we're doing the lobbying, and we're drawing this to government's attention. And every every sign-up counts. Every Facebook like and share makes a huge difference. So um, 70,000 people and counting will we'll, we'll soon be 100,000, and it can't be ignored. So as well as supporting the ombudsman complaint, we're calling for a Senate inquiry just to blow the whole thing open mm. and ask the government to keep the health department honest and the NHMRC honest. You know, we pay our public servants to conduct themselves ethically, not to engage in ideological service, pandering to um, the ideological agendas of sceptics groups. It's just horrendous the more you think about it. It is absolutely horrendous. 
Oh my gosh, this could go on for such a long time, but we do need to wrap it. And um, so in sure. terms of next steps, Jerry, obviously we'll get people to go to the Facebook page. We'll get people to go to your website. So that's your health, your choice. Doc, is that what it is? Yeah, your, it, yeah, sure. It's your health, your choice.com.au. Right. Uh, to differentiate from overseas sites. So your health, your choice.com.au. Please go have a read of the Senate petition, sign up. Um, go to the Facebook page, like it, and share it through your networks. And uh, every vote makes a big difference. And it's a, we're already making a difference in Canberra. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I'm shocked, Brett. I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely shocked and dismayed. And oh. I'll be I'll be doing my own little Facebook live post about this for sure. I think uh, I think unfortunately I'm not as shocked as I should be because I've heard some of this before and been made aware of it by some other people who came and did a seminar here in Adelaide, which was amazing. And, um, you know, it's been going on for too long. So, you know, I wish I could say I was shocked, but I'm not. And that's the problem. Well, the the reason we're focusing on this review in particular is because it also informed the other reviews they did of 16 natural therapies. And with that, they've just removed the healthcare rebate. So this directly affects people's choice. Yeah, and they're not going to stop there. So, you know, if you don't happen to use a homeopath, but you use a chiropractor, or you don't happen to use a naturopath, but you use some other alternative health therapy, it still applies to you because it's not going to stop. It's going to keep going. Yeah. And guys have done it. If they've done it to us, they'll do it to anyone. Yeah. And just remember that this is not something that you go, oh, no, no, this is just smoke in the wind. This is actually really happening here in Australia to us. Like it's not something happening in New Zealand. It's not happening in Fiji. It's not happening in the US. It's not because of Donald Trump. This is actually happening in Australia and it's affecting our health choice. So keep that in mind, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And if you want more information specifically about the homeopathy review, uh, we've created a website, www.nhmrchomeopathy.com. Don't take my word for it. Go go there and look at the facts of the matter and uh, you'll be shocked. Good on you. That's fantastic, Jerry. Great work. Keep up the great work. And thanks so much for joining us today on the Wellness Guy Show. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of the Wellness Guy Show. We hope you love the new feel. Remember to continue to interact with us and tell us what you thought of this and other episodes. Please head to facebook.com forward slash the wellness guys and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. This is the way that we get to share our message with the world. For more information about Bredo and all that he's up to, please head to drbredhill.com.au and to find out more about me, head to damienchristoff.com. Until we meet again, continue to bring wellness into your life and we'll join you next time on The Wellness Guys Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.